Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Wednesday, November 8th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all approached from a biblical worldview. My brother and sisters, brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing great, great work, a lot of great content. I would definitely encourage you to get on over there. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there you want to listen to. And there's a good possibility that you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. Um, and I say that from, from personal experience because that's exactly what happened to me. Um, I want to continue to point you at the next to last link in our show notes. It is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Gives and Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage to commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide a trustworthy alternative for our community. So go ahead and click on the link. Pastor Jay has provided a very thorough description of what we're trying to do. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we'd ask you to... Um, pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right. Well, it's middle of the week. Uh, we're going to be going ahead and like we usually do, we're going to be going ahead and doing our Bible reading. And then for the evening segment, we're going to be wrapping up John chapter 14. We're going to be doing the very last segment in this section about what Jesus death meant to him. And then, so the rest of the week we'll be moving on God willing, into John 15, John chapter 15. But let's go ahead and open up with prayer. We're going to open up with the fourth day morning prayer. It's called True Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy Son, thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled, excuse me, though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save, save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light zeal confidence but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity, not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the spirit, that profits by every correction, and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right, and now our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening uh, for November 8th. The text for it is from Colossians 2.6. As ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord. 
The life of faith is represented as receiving, an act which implies the very opposite of anything like merit. It is simply the acceptance of a gift. As the earth drinks in the rain, as the sea receives the streams, as night accepts light from the stars, so we giving nothing partake freely of the grace of God. The saints are not, by nature, wells or streams. They are but cisterns into which the living water flows. They are empty vessels into which God pours his salvation. The idea of receiving implies a sense of realization, making the matter a reality. One cannot very well receive a shadow. We receive that excuse me. We receive that which is substantial, so is it in the so so is it in the life of faith. Christ becomes real to us. While we are without faith, Jesus is a mere name to us, a person who lived a long long while ago, so long ago that his life is only a history to us now. By an act of faith, Jesus becomes a real person in the consciousness of our heart. But receiving also means grasping, or getting possession of. The thing which I receive becomes my own. I appropriate to myself that which is given. When I receive Jesus, he becomes my Savior, so mine that neither life nor death shall be able to rob me of him. All this is to receive Christ, to take him as God's free gift, to realize him in my heart, and to appropriate him as mine. Salvation may be described as the blind receiving sight, the deaf receiving hearing, the dead receiving life. But we have not only received these blessings, we have received Christ Jesus himself. It is true that he gave us life from the dead. He gave us pardon of sin. He gave us imputed righteousness. These are all precious things, but we are, we are not content with them. We have received Christ himself. The Son of God has been poured into us, and we have received him and appropriated him. What a heartful Jesus must be, for heaven itself cannot contain him. All right. And our reading for the day, we are going to be reading, and I'm sorry, I need to flop over a tab there. Um, our reading for today is going to be Ezekiel 18 and 19, the first 10 verses of Hebrews 9, uh, Psalm 106, verse 32 through 48, which wraps that psalm up, and Proverbs 27, verse 10. So Ezekiel 18, hear the word of the Lord. Then the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, declares your Lord Yahweh, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine, the soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine the soul who sins will die but if a man is righteous and does justice and righteousness and does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of israel or defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during her menstrual period if a man does not mistreat mistreat anyone but returns to the debtor his pledge does not commit robbery but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing if he does not lend money on interest or take increase, if he turns his hand from injustice and does true justice between man and man, if he walks in my statutes and my judgments and is careful to do the truth, he is righteous and will surely live, declares Lord Yahweh. Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood and who does any of these things to a brother, though he himself did not do any of these things, that is, he even eats at the mountain shrines and defiles his neighbor's wife. He mistreats the afflicted and needy, commits robbery, does not return a pledge, but lifts up his eyes to the idols and does abomination. Um, abominations. He lends money on interest, 
and takes increase. Will he live? He will not live. He has done all these abominations. He will surely be put to death. His blood will be on himself. Now behold, he has a son who has seen all his father's sins, which he has done, and he saw this, but does not do likewise. He does not eat at the mountain shrines, or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, or defile his neighbor's wife, or mistreat anyone, or retain a pledge of commit or commit robbery. But he gives bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. He turns his hand away from the afflicted, does not take interest or increase, but does my judgments and walks in my statutes. He will not die for his father's iniquity. He will surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was not good among his people, behold, he will die for his iniquity. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity? But the son has done justice and righteousness and has kept all my statutes and done them. He shall surely live. The soul whose sins will die. The son will not bear the iniquity of the father, nor will the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. But if the wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has done, and keeps all my statutes, and does justice and righteousness, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions, which he has done, will not be remembered against him. Because of his righteousness, which he has done, he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares Lord Yahweh? Is it not that he should return from his ways and live? But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, does injustice, and does according to all the abominations that a wicked man does, will he live? All his righteous deeds which he has done will not be remembered for his unfaithfulness which he has committed, and his sin which he has committed for them he will die. Yet you say, The way of the Lord is not right. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not right? Is it not your ways that are not right? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, does injustice, and dies because of it. For his injustice which he has done, he will die. Again, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, which he has done, and does justice and righteousness, he will preserve his life. Again, he considered and turned away from all his transgressions, which he had done. He shall surely live. He shall not die. But the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not right. Are my ways not right, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are not right? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his way, declares Lord Yahweh. Turn back and turn away from all your transgressions, so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from yourself all your transgressions which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart. Sorry. A new heart and a new spirit. Now why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares Lord Yahweh. Therefore turn back and live. Ezekiel 19 As for you, take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel, and say, What was your mother, a lioness among lions? She lay down among young lions, she reared her cubs, so she brought up one of her cubs, he became a lion, and he learned to tear his prey, he devoured men, the nations heard about him, he was captured in their pit, and they brought him with hooks to the land of Egypt. Then she saw, as she waited, that her hope was lost. So she took another of her cubs, and made him a young lion, and he walked about among the lions. He became a young lion. He learned to tear his prey. He devoured men. He knew how to destroy their fortified towers, and laid waste their cities. And the land was in desolation, as well as its fullness, because of the sound of his roaring. 
The nations put themselves against him, all around from their provinces, and they spread their net over him. He was captured in the pit. They put him in a cage with hooks and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him in hunting nets so that his voice would be heard no more on the mountains of Israel. Your mother was like a vine in your vineyards, planted by the waters. It was fruitful and full of branches because of abundant waters, and it had strong thick branches fit for scepters of rulers, and its height was exalted above the clouds, so that it was seen in its exaltedness with the mass of its foliage. But it was uprooted in wrath, it was cast down to the ground, and the east wind dried up its fruit. Its strong thick branch was torn off, so that it dried up, the fire consumed it, so now it is planted in the wilderness, in a dry and thirsty land, and fire has gone out from its thick branch, it has consumed its shoots and fruit, so that there is not in it a strong thick branch a scepter to rule. This is a lamentation and has become a lamentation. Hebrews 9, first 10 verses. Now even the first covenant had requirements of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the first part in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread, which is called the holy place. And behind the second veil there was a tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies having a golden altar of incense, and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna, and Aaron's rod which budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the first part of the tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second only the high priest enters over it once a year not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is indicating this, that the way into the holy places has not yet been manifested while the, that first part of the tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food and drink and various washings, requirements for the body imposed until a time of reformation. All right, Psalm 106, verse 32 through 48, so through the end of the chapter. They also provoked him to wrath at the waters of Meribah, so that it went badly with Moses on, this, on their account, because they were rebellious against his spirit. He spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as Yahweh commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned their works and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons, and they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood. Thus they became unclean in their works and played the harlot in their actions. So the anger of Yahweh was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his inheritance. Then he gave them into the hand of the nations, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were subdued under their hand. Many times he would deliver them, but they were rebellious in their counsel, and so they sank down in their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry of lamentation, and he remembered for them his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. Save us, O Yahweh our God, and gather us from among the nations, to give thanks to your holy name, and revel in your praise. Blessed be Yahweh the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise Yah.
Sorry about that. All right. And Proverbs, Proverbs 27, verse 10. Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend, and do not come to your brother's house in the day of your disaster. Better is one who dwells near than a brother far away. All right. Well, that is our reading for this morning. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I very much appreciate it. And I, and, and it just, it's just such a wonderful thing to get to spend this time with you. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope you come back for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with one from Valley of Vision called Longings After God. Let's pray. My dear Lord, I can but tell thee that thou knowest I long for nothing but thyself, nothing but holiness, nothing but union with thy will. Thou hast given me these desires, and thou alone canst give me the thing desired. My soul longs for communion with thee, for mortification of indwelling corruption, especially spiritual pride. How precious it is to have a tender sense and clear apprehension of the mystery of godliness, of true holiness. What a blessedness to be like thee, as much as it is possible for a creature to be like its creator. Lord, give me more of thy likeness. Enlarge my soul to contain fullness of holiness. Engage me to live more for thee. Help me to be less pleased with my spiritual experience. And when I feel at ease after sweet communings, teach me it is far too little. I know it is far too little I know and do. Blessed Lord, let me climb up near to thee and love and long and plead and wrestle with thee and pant for deliverance from the body of sin. For my heart is wandering and lifeless, and my soul mourns to think it should ever lose sight of its beloved. Wrap my life in divine love, and keep me ever desiring thee, always humble and resigning to thy will, more fixed on thyself, that I may be more fitted for doing and suffering. Amen. All right, again, thank you for spending this time with me this morning, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Wednesday, November 8th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host, and I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, as I usually say. Um, all right, we're going to be digging, we're going to be wrapping up our study in John chapter 14 uh, this evening. And then, like I said, or in the morning segment, uh, we're going to be moving on. For the, through the rest of the week into John chapter 15, God willing. So why don't we just go ahead and open straight up in prayer. We're going to jump in. Uh, we're going to open up with a prayer from Valley of Vision called Man's Great End. Let's pray. Lord of all being, there is one thing that deserves my greatest care, that calls forth my ardent desires. That is, that I may answer the great end for which I am made, to glorify thee who hast given me being, and to do all the good I can for my fellow men. Verily, life is not worth having if it be not improved for this noble purpose. Yet, Lord, how little is this the thought of mankind. Most men seem to live for themselves without much or any regard for thy glory or for the good of others. They earnestly desire and eagerly pursue the riches, honors, pleasures of this life. As if they supposed that wealth, greatness, merriment could make their immortal soul happy. But alas, what false delusive dreams are these, and how miserable ere long will those be that sleep in them, for all our happiness consists in loving thee and being holy as thou art holy. 
Oh, may I never fall into the tempers and vanities, the sensuality and folly of the present world. It is a place of inexpressible sorrow, a vast empty nothingness. Time is a moment, a vapor, and all its enjoyments are empty bubbles, fleeting blasts of wind from which nothing satisfactory can be derived. Give me grace always to keep in covenant with thee, and to reject as delusion a great name here or hereafter, together with all sinful pleasures or profits. Help me to know continually that there can be no true happiness, no fulfilling of thy purpose for me, apart from a life traveled, um, a life lived in and for the Son of thy love. Amen. All right, the evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for November 8th. The text for it is from Mark 14:14. 14, 14. The Master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? Jerusalem at the time of the Passover was one great inn. Each householder had invited his own friends, but no one had invited the Savior, and he had no dwelling of his own. It was by his own supernatural power that he found himself an upper room in which to keep the feast. It is so even to this day. Jesus is not received among the sons of men, save only where by his supernatural power and grace he makes the heart anew. All doors are open enough to the prince of darkness, but Jesus must clear a way for himself or lodge in the streets. It was through the mysterious power exerted by our Lord that the householder raised no question, but at once cheerfully and joyfully opened his guest chamber. Who he was and what he was we do not know, but he readily accepted the honor which the Redeemer proposed to confer upon him. In like manner it is still discovered who are the Lord's chosen and who are not. For when the gospel comes to some, they fight against it and will not have it. But where men receive it, welcoming it, this is a sure indication that there is a secret work going on in the soul, and that God has chosen them unto eternal life. Are you willing, dear reader, to receive Christ? Then there is no difficulty in the way Christ will be your... I'm sorry, there is no difficulty in the way. Christ will be your guest. His own power is working with you, making you willing. What an honor to entertain the Son of God. The heaven of heavens cannot contain him, and yet he condescends to find a house within our hearts. We are not worthy that he should come under our roof, but what an unutterable privilege when he condescends to enter. For then he makes a feast and causes us to feast with him upon royal dainties. We sit at a banquet where the viands are immortal and give immortality to those who feed thereon. Blessed among the sons of Adam is he who entertains the angel's Lord. All right, well, like I said... We're wrapping up this section of John chapter 14. Sorry, scooching around in my chair here. Um, this section we've been talking about, about what Jesus' death meant to him. And again, you know, we've we've come through all of this. And of course, this is the end of the discussion in the upper room itself. It isn't the end of his upper room discourse. They tend to con continue that or call the, that on through chapter 16. But the fact is, at, at the end of this point, they end up leaving the upper room and they wander through Jerusalem on their way to Gethsemane. But again, so, you know, like we've said before, the disciples, they, their world, like I said, their world is coming apart. Um, they just, they, they don't even know where to turn. Um, like we've said, um, this is their Messiah, but they're misunderstanding. They have a spiritual blindness where it comes to what Messiah means, what it really means. Not, not intellectually, but they're not understanding spiritually what it means that their Messiah is there and that their Messiah is going to be murdered, that he's going to be betrayed, that he is going to be murdered, um, but then that he's going to come again. 
you know, they're, they're just, they're not grasping all of that. So, you know, here's their teacher, their rabbi, somebody that's almost in some cases a father figure, though he's probably around the same age or just a little older than they are. But he's telling them, I'm going to die. And he's not doing anything to run away from it. I mean, you know, it's, 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 and, and, and I don't mean that, that he's doing that in a fatalistic manner. It, it's, he has a mission. He has a mission and a message and a ministry. And those must be carried out no matter what. So, you know, like we've said, he's been trying to comfort them and everything, but we come to these last four verses. And again, he's not necessarily trying to not comfort them here, but really what we see in these last four verses is what Jesus death meant to him. I'm going to go ahead and read them to you. Verses 28 through 31. So this is John 14, verse 28 through 31. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the father for the father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me, but so that the world may know that I love the father. I do exactly as the father commanded me get up. Let us go from here. So again, in, in this section, you know, we've, we've, like we've called it, is what Jesus' death meant to him. And like I've said before, last couple of evenings, you know, we think all the time about what it means to us. And that, that's kind of core. I mean, that, that is core to our faith. So th th that's not a bad question to ask. But the one thing we, I, I, I know when I came across this, I realized that I never really asked that question is, what does Jesus' death mean to him? And we see it in these verses. We see that his ministry is vindicated, um, you know, that, that he goes away, but he comes to them and that if they had loved him, they would have rejoiced because he goes to the father. The fact is that he's going to the father and he's not going to the father with, with his head hung down. It's clear he's, he's going to the father triumphant. So he's not going to the father head hung down like, sorry, dad, I didn't, I didn't do it well. No, that's not it. But his ministry is vindicated because he's going to the father and he's been proclaiming that he does the work of the father. He's making clear. So he's going to the father for the father is greater than I. The father is in heaven. He's being clear. He's going to God. He is going to God. He is, he's going to be murdered and he's going to God. And because he has told them he's going to God and that's, what's going to happen. It, it, it vindicates the ministry, but at the same time, it also verifies the message again, verse 29 through 38. And now I've told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe I will not speak much more with you again, very, very making very, very clear to the disciples is I'm prophesying here. One, only God prophesies and I'm prophesying to you. And you're going to see when all this comes to pass that I was prophesying, I was prophesying accurately. Therefore I am God. I am the son of God. And therefore everything that I've said is verified. The message I brought you is verified. It is accurate and it is to be trusted. And we saw last night that his vision, his mission would be victorious for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me again. And we made clear, you know, saw that Satan was coming and he knew it. I mean, the fact is Satan had already tempted him after his baptism by John the Baptist. Satan had already come and tempted him, tried to coerce him. But at this point, Satan's coming and he's coming with pain. Thus why he, and we saw that from John 13, where he went into Judas and is using Judas to then bring, you know, and the Satan is working through Judas and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the false religion, because it's false at that point. It, it is not a, the true Jewish religion, the true religion that God set down for them. 
It is a false religion, but between all of them and the Romans, they are going to inflict pain and suffering on him. And Satan is using that to try to, to try to turn him from his path because Satan does not want him to be successful. But the sad fact is, and again, it says, and he has nothing in me. It's very, very clear. Christ was not born in sin. He did not live a sinful life at all. The the only incarnate being that has ever lived a perfectly sinless life. Therefore, Satan has no, the devil has no hold on him. The devil has no way to twist and turn him. Unlike you and I, who have our own guilts and our own sins and our own things that, 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 you know, weigh heavy on us. That's the, that the devil can turn. I, I know I can identify with that. I'm sure most, most of y'all listening, if not all of y'all listening can identify that as well, that, that, you know, the devil does have a tendency to get hold of those things that are the worst and try to twist on them and, and, and weigh on you. But he didn't have that with Christ. And the fact is, even in his murdering of Christ, because make no, make no mistake. Yeah. There were human means used, but the root cause of the murder of Christ. Well, I'm sorry. The, 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 the primary cause of the murder of Christ was the devil. But even in that he was carrying out God's will. And even in that, it helped, he helped Jesus accomplish inadvertently, accidentally. Well, I don't know, accidentally, but, but he didn't know that he, any better or couldn't figure it out. That even in that, he helped Christ commit, uh, complete his mission and paid for the price of the sins of those who would believe, taking them out of the hands of the devil. <laughs> so Jesus was successful. So again, his mission would be victorious. So with that, his ministry being vindicated, his message being verified, and his mission being victorious, what we see in verse 31 is his motivation being validated. So let's read it again. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. So again, he, he has proclaimed from day one. And we've seen it multiple times and we've talked about it multiple times as we've worked our way through the gospel of John, that Jesus has made clear that he is doing exactly what the father has told him to do. He's, he's doing exactly what the father has modeled to him to do, has shown him to do. Um, he's not doing these things on his own. He's not teaching these things on his own. He's teaching what the father has instructed him to teach. He's doing what the father hasn't told him to do. And again, John, or, um, Jesus is very clear, but we especially see it, the teachings of Jesus coming out through John's epistles, the epistles of John, first John. He's very, very clear about that, that, that if we truly love him, we will, we will, we will obey his statutes and commandments. But Jesus himself said that as well. If we truly loved him, we would obey his statutes and commandments. We would be obedient. Well, th that's what he's saying here. The world will know that I love the father because I do exactly as the father commanded me. And it's very, very clear that he does exactly as the father has commanded him because it's very, very clear that Jesus goes and allows himself to die, to be murdered exactly the way Jesus said it would be exactly the way the prophet said it would be. It was totally in control. Don't ever misunderstand and think that Jesus crucifixion 
was ever out of the control of Jesus, was ever out of the control of God. It never was. But he did exactly as the Father commanded him. And that showed the truth of his motivation because he did exactly as as the, as the uh, Father commanded him. He was murdered. He was crucified. Three days later, he rose again. And then he went on to ascend to the Father. How does that not validate his motivation? That makes very, very clear his motivation. Um, it, it totally validates his motivation completely and totally that he is doing exactly what the, fa- what the father has, has instructed him to do. The, the fact is, had he not been, would he really have been resurrected? I mean, I'm not saying the father would say, oh, yep, you screwed up. I'm going to leave you dead. I, I'm not saying that it was the father's plan. The father knew all this. I mean, again, all this is predetermined, but, but again, he makes very, very clear that he loves the father. He makes very, very clear what his motivation is. And it's made clear that even though, and we got to think about that, you know, um, he is very troubled when he goes to tell the disciples back in John 13, and to make clear to them that one of them is going to betray him. It makes, it makes clear in the text that, that he, he's troubled. And I, I can't remember the Greek word, but it's the, the concept of being stirred up, stirred up in the gut. Um, like, um, what was it? The, the Greek word, it's the same Greek word that is used to talk about the, the swirling of the pool of pool of Bethesda that, that supposedly by tradition, the angels caused that once that happened, the people would try to get in the water and be healed. It's that kind of thing that was going on with him, within him. Again, he is facing and suffering through everything a human would be doing. A human knowing that he is going to his death and, and, and knowing how bad it's going to be, not just the physical pain, but again, as I've talked about the, having the sins of everybody else piled on his shoulders and then the wrath for those sins piled on him the 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 just pain i mean the true soul-wrenching pain not just physical but but spiritual pain that he was going to have to face i mean even to the point that in the garden of gethsemane he prays that if it can be that that be taken away from him then he not have to obey that that he not have to do that to the point where in one of the gospels it speaks of him being so, um, so troubled that his sweat poured like blood, uh, you know? So again, this is not the fact that, like I've said before, he's not skipping tra-la-la all the way to the cross. That's not, not even close. But because he goes to the crucifixion, he makes clear that he's doing exactly as the father commanded him and showing his true love of God. So his motivation is validated and it's validated after had he not died, he could not have been resurrected to show clearly to the world that he had done exactly right. That he, what he had said was the truth, what he had said was from God and that God approved of what he did by raising him from the dead. And then him be ascending back to the right hand of the father in heaven. So his motivation is validated. He, he has truly, truly accomplished it. So again, 
Jesus' death, what it meant to him was that his ministry would be vindicated, his message would be verified, his mission would be victorious, and his motivation would be validated. And again, like I said, I would have never really approached this this way, but when I came across this, I was like, wow. I mean, you know, like I said, we always think about what it means to us. And again, it, it's it, we need to know what it means to us. I, I'm sorry, that was a... That was a core piece of my coming to a saving faith in Christ was that realization. And I'm going to use some words here that I didn't have when I was first brought to saving faith in Christ. But now that I'm more mature as a Christian, I can look back and go, oh, this was this. It was the realization of my total and complete depravity, my total and complete depravity and my inability to earn my way into heaven. And thus the real realization of of why I needed a savior and how important it was that that savior went to the cross and paid the price for my sins, paid the price for my sins so that I didn't have to. And so that I could then stand holy and blameless before a just God and would be adopted as one of his sons. That's what it took. So yeah, it is important that we understand what the crucifixion means to us to be, to be honest, like, 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 um, MacArthur says of it. And I, I know people go, Oh, you're a MacArthur, right? Well, okay, maybe. But anyways, what MacArthur says about it is, you know, th this is the fact is the crucifixion truly is the core of our faith, of our belief system. Without the crucifixion, none of the rest of it happens or none of the rest of it matters without the crucifixion. I still have to pay for my sins and therefore I'm not going to heaven. Therefore I'm not saved. Therefore I'm facing an eternity of torment in the lake of fire as are all mankind. So all of it's out the window, all of it's out the window. So without the crucifixion, the rest doesn't happen. Yes. All the rest is important. I'm not, I'm not minimizing it, but the crucifixion is so key. So yeah, we think about what it means to us, but we don't really think about what it means to means to him. And again, yeah, he he wanted God to take that cup from him. I, who wouldn't? I mean, I mean, truly, who wouldn't? Um, I mean, he was fully God and fully man. So who wouldn't want that taken from him? Especially with some of those kind of transferable attributes, you know, because sometimes he would manifest his omniscience even even as a man. I, I'm pretty certain, especially if it brought him to the point where he was sweating like blood, sweat pouring off him like blood, that he knew he had a pretty good idea of what he was facing, what he was going to face in the next 12 to 15 hours from the time the Garden of Gethsemane happened. Um, he, he knew. In some way, shape, or form, he knew. But he went, but he went because it vindicated his ministry. It verified his message. It made his mission victorious and it validated his motivation. And key with all of those is it honored his father. It showed his love for his father. And that's what we see in these verses we've dealt with. 
All right, well, that's going to do it this evening. I know it's a little bit short, but it's covered with, and I don't want to beat a dead, dead horse here, and I know sometimes I do. Like I said, God willing, we'll be moving on into John chapter 15 tomorrow night, so I hope to see you tomorrow night. Uh, I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. Let me swap over. There we go. Fourth day evening prayer. It's called God All Sufficient. Let's pray. King of glory, divine majesty, every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine in its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace. How excellent thy loving kindness that, <clears throat> that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God, never seeking life among the dead things of earth, or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity thou hast provided us a Savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our names. We confess our transgressions, have mercy on us. We are weary, give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on, unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right, again, hope to see you tomorrow morning, and I hope you have yourself a wonderful night. Have a good one. God bless. Music